Yes, we're back. It's episode 65 of the Hibs Ramble. Again, it is the gruesome twosome with you this evening. It's me, Liam, and I'm joined by Mr. Sean Corrigan. Sean, how the devil are you, my friend? I'm a lot better today than I may or may not have been in the last couple of days. You? I was maybe a bit of a tough Saturday. A bit of a tough Saturday for us all. Um Obviously, we're now looking back on a disappointing semi-final defeat against Aberdeen on Saturday there. Not ideal. Um, we're we're going to dive right in and, and have a wee deep dive of, of what went wrong and, and stuff this episode. But result aside, Sean, uh, did you enjoy your day out to Hamden, your quarter past five kickoff at Hamden? Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed everything up until maybe about what time did the team come out at? An hour and 50 minutes before kickoff. Up until the team came out, I was having a great day, enjoying myself um, and was in good spirits. And then I saw the team. And then um, the optimism that I had and showed last week on last week's episode quickly, quickly disappeared. Um, Not like yeah. Quickly turned from a confident victory to uh oh shit this is this is not going to go our way very quickly so how, how did you get through what did you get up to on like during the day uh, i went for some scran down in queensbury before the game um and then just headed through bit of a bit of a different build-up for me today than than oh, sorry not today sorry on saturday than than other semi-finals and finals but i fair enjoyed it it was a bit of a late decision for for me and, and my old man to go through. We, we weren't planning on going through and then circumstances changed and we ended up, um, our Saturday was, was freed up so we were able to head through. So we just drove through, managed to get a pub. And I tell you what, see this pub that we went to, we only went in for one pint, but like getting to it, it was like, oh my God, it was, I thought I was going to get stabbed. Like it was in this proper scheme like schemey schemey scheme and I was like what the fuck like how can there be like a a big pub full of Hibs fans like in this bit but lo and behold we turned around the corner and there was this massive boozer and loads of uh, loads of Hibs buses parked outside it so we we jumped into there I can't remember for the life of me what the name of the pub was but um it was it was half decent in there it was you know it was jumping way with the fans singing the songs and that. So that was good. And then we got to the stadium and it all kind of fucking fell apart for there, didn't it? I mean, you mentioned the lineup, um, the most notable, um, the most notable players who weren't even in the squad was Jimmy Jago and Adam LaFondra. Um, Jago, I think, would maybe thought that he wouldn't have been involved from the start. I thought he probably would have been in the squad and Adam LaFondra. That was a complete curveball to me. What was your initial take on the fact that he wasn't even in the squad? Um, I think my views were the complete opposite of your one in regards to how uh, I was completely baffled by the Jago thing and then I just wasn't surprised that LaFondra wasn't it, like necessarily in the whole squad. Do you know what I mean? Whereas obviously you thought that Jago might not have been in, in the starting 11. So I think it actually took me a while to realise that Jago wasn't in the squad. I just expected him to be there. So the team came out 
And then I was like, oh, right, great. Martin Boyle through the middle again. Jair out wide, great. Didn't even notice Levitt. I just kind of bypassed the fact that Levitt was there, which, by the way, I didn't have any real issue with once I found out that Jago wasn't there because I know not a lot went right last week against Ross County, but what did go right went through Levitt. And he was very mm-hmm. creative and he found a lot of good passes and a lot of good touches. But when I saw like that Alfie wasn't there at all, I was very worried about how our in-game management would be on the pitch, um, which obviously turned out to be Mingan. And then when I got to the stadium, I was then looking through the team lineup again, being right, okay, who have we got on the bench? Because obviously Adam wasn't there. And then I was, and then at that point, that's when I realised that that Jimmy Jago wasn't there. And then at that point, yeah. I could have well just turned around and went home because everyone that I was with and everyone around me just knew that I then had absolutely no confidence in in what we were going to do. Which is weird, considering like how well Levitt played and not at the weekend, but you know the game before. And it's it's interesting how just two, I mean, Alfie's not been a regular starter, but he's he's had a massive he's made impact, an impact when squad. he's come on. Massive impact, even on and off the pitch. And then someone like Jago, who's had a, an up and down time, but a real upturn in, in form since Monty's came in. It, it really just goes to show how impactful those two players were, and it's, well, in my eyes anyway, because it completely changed how I viewed the game. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You talk about the bench there, and the bench really didn't fill me with confidence. I can't remember who was all on the bench, but you look to game changers who are on the bench and there was maybe only Christian Deutsch um, with the capabilities. I mean, with all due respect to the rest of the rest of the players that were on the bench, I mean, you, you wouldn't turn to them and look, oh, you can come on and really make the difference here. Um, obviously good for for young Rory Whitaker and, and Landers to to got a spot on the bench in a National Cup semi-final at Hamden, so I mean, they probably would have been buzzing with it, but I mean, I can't imagine that many Hibs fans um, shared an awful lot of optimism um, like like yourself with in-game management side of things, I think that we're maybe doomed from the start a little bit um, yeah, when I it think came just, to yeah, Just, sorry to, sorry to interrupt, um, just on that, talking about like Dodge and, and the impact, or lack of potential in-game management that we're going to have when at that point when I realised that Jago wasn't in the 11 and I get like Jair's not necessarily done too much wrong but maybe not necessarily done too much right either like it's just he's been there or thereabouts for that game at the weekend once I realised that Jago wasn't in that squad it, I really found it baffling and I know we're going to come on to Venti's performance because there's a few questions about it and him dropping deep and I'll I'll make those points at that point but I really feel like with Adam being out and Jimmy being out, that would have been the game for Dodge to play that deeper role out the two strikers, stick Venti on the last man, and then obviously have Boyle and you and Wider. And I'm really disappointed that, that Monty didn't go with that. I think maybe... And at least you have Jair of, to bring on, if, if that's yeah, the case. Part of him might have thought, well, if I start with Jair, then he doesn't need to come on. And then you're only really needing... Dodge if you're needing a goal, whereas you're not really going to bring on Jair for a goal, albeit he obviously got one against Ross County. Uh, yeah, it was just disappointing for me. I think as well, I mean, you've got to look at the fact that, you know, Jair, I mean, I said it at the time, 
I, I don't think he had the, the best of games. We will touch on, <clears throat> sorry, individual performances like throughout the podcast, but um, I didn't think he had the best of games on Saturday. I mean, he he would probably agree with that himself if if he was listening. But I say that in a couple of group chats that I'm in, is, was it maybe a step too big, a step too soon uh, for Jair to be thrown in more or less at the deep end at Hamden in the biggest game of the season so far. But maybe that's not necessarily his fault, though. That's more... No, but is that then... Is that, uh, is that a mistake from the manager's side of things? or Potentially, yeah. But I think at the same time, if you look at the bench, and again, no disrespect to the young boys, because they made a, a good account of themselves with what they had the opportunity to do. But it just goes to show kind of where our squad is maybe at, that Jair is starting... And listen, there was other players on that pitch, and again, we'll come on to individual performances, but there was obviously a lot, of, a lot of people that were still unhappy that he was in that starting 11. And I get your point about it maybe being a step too big too soon for him, and you're probably right. But then it just goes to show maybe where our overall squad is when the likes of Jago and Adam are out, that that's what we're left with. And I think that, when you're looking at the this, this smaller, shorter picture, it's not really it's not really great reading. Whereas when you think about bigger picture, it'll give Monty the opportunity to identify in more detail what areas of the pitch he needs to improve on and, and quick. And I would rather that now rather than, you know, obviously I'd rather be in a cup final, obviously. But like I'd rather that now than Jago and Adam playing all the time and then we get to the end of January and then we start getting these injuries and Monty's maybe not utilised the squad so he doesn't know who can give what. Yeah, no, you took the words right in my mouth there. I was I was gonna literally just knock on and say, is uh is this maybe, you know, not a, I don't want to say a blessing in disguise because I it's obviously not we lost a semi final at Hamden. No one wants to lose a semi final. No one wants to lose any game. But um, it will have given Nick Montgomery, you know, a little bit of uh, food for thought when it comes to planning for the January transfer window. And I would imagine we've been planning for the January transfer window since he came in. But um, it'll maybe give him, you know, a little bit extra impetus to to kind of identify the sorts of players that we need, um, not only to strengthen the starting eleven, but to strengthen the bench as well. But um, moving on to the actual game. I didn't think that the first half there was an awful lot in it. Um, no, neither side were really threatening an awful lot. There was a couple of pot shots here and there that went straight down um, the Aberdeen goalie's throat. <clears throat> uh, the the main thing for me was I noticed that you know Dylan Venti, you mentioned it before, he was playing so 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 deep, which seemed really odd to me because I thought it would have been. Um, Dylan Levitt maybe going a little bit further forward, a little bit further advanced and sitting in that number 10 just behind the two strikers, allowing then Dylan Venti and, and Martin Boyle to to get forward a, a wee bit more. But it seemed as if, you know, Levitt was, was holding back and Venti was filing into that number 10 role. Did you see that as well? Yeah, I saw I saw it kind of similar to that. I think Levitt was, was doing the similar or the same kind of role as to what Jago has been asked to do since Monty came in. And I think this comes back to the players that we have at our disposal at the moment versus what Monty's philosophy and style is. There'll be certain players that are having to maybe play in a role that 
one maybe suits their style to an extent, but maybe doesn't get the best out of them. So like Levitt can more than play that role when you're not up against like a like one of the old firm and you're you've got you know backs against the wall. But when you're trying to create things for the back, you know, he as you can see against Ross County and at times at the weekend, he did do and and he done successfully. He was able to pick up the ball quite a lot. He started a lot of quick one two passes and, and quick breaks. Um I think if you then move him forward into that more attacking role, you're then asking Joe Neal to do less of his strengths and play further back as well, which at times during his Hibs career we've seen quite a lot and then he's not played very well. So I wasn't surprised to see Venti drop in so, so deep, but that's kind of why I would have rather had Doidge in there to do the doggy work in there. And then, listen, no disrespect to Martin Boyle, he can certainly finish and he, he took his chance when it when it came very well. Um, but I would have rather him and Yuan out wide stretching the Aberdeen back three and then at times back five. But because of the shape that Aberdeen had, Venti was having to drop in and basically sit on one of the Aberdeen midfielders and get in and around all that work, which, considering how lethal he is in and around the penalty box, it, it took a lot out of us. Um, I did think Baffling, that... I thought, I thought it was... Yeah. It was kind of cutting your nose off to spite your face, really. Yeah, um, but he'd done, he done that against he done that against Celtic as well, that he was having to drop in really, really deep. And I agree with you regarding the first half. Like, it didn't really feel like a lot... Or it certainly, at the time, it didn't feel like a lot was happening. We obviously had the lion's share of the possession. Uh, Aberdeen were more than happy to let us have it. Um, Aberdeen, very throughout the whole match, really, really did not threaten us in any way. We made a couple of loose mistakes. Lewis Miller made one. Um, Lewis Miller made a couple, that, actually. Yeah, in, in the, the first half, half anyway. Yeah. Um, he made a few throughout the match, that's for sure. Um, but in the first half, I can certainly remember him making one and then Aberdeen breaking quickly in the final third and getting a shot away. But other than that, like Joe Newell had a couple of chances that could could have maybe done differently with Jair. Ellie Yuan skied one as well. Ellie Yuan skied one. We broke very quickly from, a, I think it was a Dillard Levitt pass from maybe one of their corners. Um, Martin Boyle takes a quick touch, plays out wide and then we're on the break and it's last-ditch defending for them. So, albeit, it didn't feel like the first half was up to much. We limited Aberdeen throughout the whole match, but predominantly in the first half as well, to very, very little. And it was just unfortunate that, like the what happened throughout the whole 90 minutes, we just couldn't find that killer final ball or, or get that shot on target, unfortunately. Or Aberdeen had a, a last man or last-ditch defending. This is, a, I mean, I think... I've got down here a positive to take from the first half is I thought we looked really, really comfortable with the ball. Um, it's maybe just, you know, another week of uh, Monty Ball, another week of being a little bit more comfortable in what he's wanting the players to do. But I thought that we looked really comfortable in possession. Um, you know, 90% of the time there was a couple of bits bits and balls where, you know, passes went astray and we, we maybe didn't um, execute as, as well as we should have done. But... Um, I think the you know the the progression is there. Definitely week on from, week, yeah, week on week. From, yeah, exactly. Yeah, week on week, and you can definitely see what the managers wanting the players to do, and I like it. I like it. Um, you know, I, I drew, I drew some similarities from uh, the way that Sean Maloney liked to play, um, the other week on the pod. But I feel like um, Monty's style of play is. It's a, a little bit more direct. It's not just passing for passing sake. It is 
being patient and and waiting for the opportunities to to arise. So, you know, I, I felt like we were we were fairly comfortable, and you could see that our you know our strengths were hitting them down down the wings and hitting them quickly down the wings. And I felt like we got an awful lot of joy out of that. You know, maybe not amazing clear cut chances, but getting the ball into the areas. There was a few times where the ball was flashed across the face of goal, and because Fenty was playing so deep. There was no one in there to to attack it, so um, you can see you can see where, where the chances are going to come from, and it's going to come from pacey wingers. So um, you know, I, I felt genuinely, I felt like we played all right first half, and I felt like we played all right second half. But um, like you said, there, there I feel was a like there was, of, a, there was a massive improvement in the second half from the first mm, half in regards to attacking wise, the attacking wise, the quality of of passing or in regards to how direct we were and how quick we were going direct. Not necessarily long balls all the time, because we only done that on a few occasions until we obviously went 1-0 down. You said there was a lot of, you know, not passing for passing sake, but passing to try and bring Aberdeen out, find the gaps in behind, which is obviously Monty's style. And then if we can play it through the middle, into those wider areas, through a lever or through a null, or an instance like at the beginning of the of the second half, you know, Will Fish plays a ball over the top, simple ball, but it, it cuts them open. So in the second half, there was a vast improvement in regards to our attacking sense. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, and I mean we'll, we'll just jump right onto that that topic of discussion. So I would just come right out and say, it. is is he on is he onside or is he offside? Onside and offside, that through VAR should be black and white. There should be no grey areas at all, especially with VAR. The more I look at that the more onside he looks. I thought he was offside at the time and I was a bit annoyed that Venti didn't like give him a shout and, and kind of say, listen, this is mine and go through because he was miles onside, miles onside. My concern was at the time when Boyle went through that he was off. But the more I see the screenshot and the more I see the highlights, the more I think he's on and the more... The, the two lines don't quite add up for me, not in regards to whether they're straight or not, because I've seen people, you know, putting that into, in, into a debate there as well. But what I don't get is how big the gap is between the two lines, considering how close the two close players are. are. Yeah. And I, I know that Martin Boyle's line is taken from his arm and not his shoulder. So that's a, that's a grievance point there. And I, I feel like the Aberdeen line is taken on top of the boy's foot and not at the edge of the boy's foot. And I think that comes down to more the camera angles more than anything else and the lack of support that the VR officials have got or that John Beaton had. But, yeah, normally the naked eye doesn't necessarily lie, and I thought it was off at the time. But, like I said, the more and more I see it, the more onside I think he is. I mean, I thought it was very, very tight at the time. I, I can, I'm looking at it now. I thought he was onside at the time. I was kind of sitting behind the like or next to the corner flag, um, on the dugout side, the main stand side. Yeah, yeah. So he looked onside to me because I did think that their right back was playing him on. Um, and like you say, that's just the way that the lines are drawn. I think if we could get the get the um the semi automated one. Oh, the audio. No, I, no, I that, if we could get the audio, and because I, I don't know if the VAR 
if the VAR room has has got different um, different angles, you know that the angles are everything. You just look down at um, Newcastle Arsenal this weekend. I'm sorry to bring it up, Sean, because I know it's probably a little bit of <laughs> touching nerve for you, but you know you look at the ball in one angle and it's over the line and you look at it from another angle and it's not so it might just be a case of that I mean yes it's very 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 tight um, but I mean if VAR is concluded it is offside then who are we then really to say that's on I also feel like it's a good indication and I know like bias bias they normally comes into it but I feel like it's normally a good indication when other supporters of other clubs i.e. Rangers and Hearts are saying that we've been robbed or that it's onside and this is even after the decision has been made and even after the screenshots and, and the images have came out that it's not necessarily just like the Hibs support that are like aye well there you go there's the lines black and white it's done and dusted move on and it yeah. should be it should be as simple as that but it just doesn't it doesn't fill me with confidence Basing on I where mean, they took the lines from, I think that they must have seen another angle in the VAR room because there's no way that a VAR trained professional is placing those lines that far apart on that angle. I don't think anyway. I would like I to. Think, I, I, that's, I, I, that's just my two two cents. I know this is like a, a topic for like a, a whole other day, but I wonder you saw during like the World Cup and you see during like some sport and some football events or some leagues, they have the semi-automated lines. Why does Scotland's National Stadium, which has been used for a Euros and is going to be used for whenever the other bid that we won as well, and it's always up for like potentially using it like Europa Conference, Europa League, Champions League finals. Why does that not have so many TV angles for this exact reason? And is why that, does is those national stadiums not have? Is that a via player? I, oh, I don't know who's responsible would, for that. I would imagine that would come down to the, the TV cameras for the company that's doing it. But like, I, I still don't understand why if you're going to have VAR at the national stadium, whether it be a Scotland game, whether it be a League Cup, whether it be a Scottish Cup, why not have the best possible VR facility in regards to the semi-automated one? And then it maybe just takes away this debate which realistically it shouldn't be a debate because like I said uh, it should be black and white I mean the rule is black and white there's no there's no ambiguity in whether something is offside or onside like a foul or or anything like that it's it is you are either offside or you are onside and that's that's where the frustration is because it looks so ambiguous but my opinion on it is that they must have seen something that we haven't seen that we haven't been shown for them to make that clear-cut decision i mean and it took them long enough that they they definitely weren't just looking at one angle i don't think no i I don't think so no i I think surely they they will have seen another angle and we've just not seen it so i mean it's offside at the end of the day the goal wasn't given um usually something like that would maybe knock the stuff in out of hibs a little bit but i felt it did quite the opposite and it kind of gave us the confidence and the kickstart that we needed to then create more chances, which we did. Um, obviously, Jair had a really good chance. Um, Venti had a really good chance. But the the main one that we'll talk about now, I mean, this is 
from something being overanalyzed uh, with VAR to something not being analyzed at all, Dylan Venti's penalty shout, and I'll do the same as I did for for the offside call. Is it a penalty or is it not a penalty, Sean? For you, uh, just talking about knocking the stuffing out of the side. It certainly knocked the stuffing out of me that offside, and I think it's. I don't know if it's concerning on my on my personal behalf, but as soon as that goal was disallowed, and I'll obviously I'll come back and I'll talk about the penalty in a sec. I knew at that point there's no way we're winning the game. Like, I, and and that's just that uh, that's just a Hibs mentality. It shouldn't be the way. Like, it, when that happened, I just knew in true Hibernian fashion that we were going to go on and get beat one 0 I said I said I knew that as well. And I said it was at the just time there was guys sitting next to me. I went, "This has got one 0 Aberdeen written all over it," and they went, "Don't even fucking say that, yeah. man." And then, um, and then yeah, you're right. You said the other the other couple of chances. Someday I was with then turned around to me and went, oh, do you think there's a goal in this game? And I went, yep, there'll be one goal and it'll be for Aberdeen. And they're like, oh, shut up, nah, 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 whatever. And then obviously the penalty shout, like you said. Um, listen, I actually don't, I don't think that type of incident is a penalty. It's a generalisation. I don't think that type of incident where the keeper spilled it and it's that close to the, the byline and the Keeper kindy pulls out, but kindy doesn't pull out, and the strikers kindy looking at looking for it, but got to the ball first. Generally, I don't think that's a penalty, right? I, and you, I could say the same about Toby Civics at Tynecastle two, three weeks ago, and I would say the same about the Rangers one yesterday. However, and you, I would say the same about Duke's one last season. Mm-hmm. However, all four of those instances have a lot of similarities about them. And two of them two of them were given and two of them weren't. And two and two of them haven't. One of them it took VAR, so the Duke one, it took VAR to give that decision. And that was again last season. So I know that rules can change season on season. But then obviously less than twenty four hours later. I actually think the Rangers one is more of a penalty than our one. If 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 you're if you're talking penalties, but there needs to be a level of consistency where where does the line get drawn between Venti's got to the ball first? And then he's been taken out, regardless of how close it is to the byline or not. It doesn't matter if he was at the byline coming into the box rather than going out. It's still in the box. In the box is in the box. So, and again, that's just the level of inconsistency throughout our refereeing board. I I thought the referee that we had against Ross County was extremely inconsistent regarding fouls that he was and wasn't given. And I thought John Beaton at the weekend was the same. And I thought John Beaton had an absolute shocker at the weekend. Yeah, regarding certain incidents where people would get shoved over and nothing would get given, and then people would get shoved over, and then there'd be a yellow card. Like just the general inconsistency or the consistent inconsistency, the refereeing performances in Scotland for me is the more worrying aspect of it. I didn't think it was a penalty at the time, but again, when you look at it's like anything, if you're then you look at it for long enough, you'll find something. You'll, to find, give the you'll find something. And you look at it over and over again. And the more I look at it, the more I think it's a penalty. And then that that's then just backed up by the fact that Rangers then get given one less than 24 hours, 24 hours later. I know that apparently it wasn't looked by VAR, but VAR looks at pretty much everything. VAR so looks at... I'd, be very sur- been, I'd be very surprised. There would have been a check, like maybe not an official check, but they would have... They would, would have seen the incident, that, so there would, it would have been spoke about, yeah. For me, at the time, I thought 
that's a stone waller. And like like you, the, the first thing that I thought of was Duke's um, Duke's penalty that was given at Pataudry last year against us. I felt like it was the 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 same sort of instance, um, whether there's contact or not. Um, it looks to me on the replay that there is contact uh, with Roos and Venti, but there's at, at the time. There's definitely con- there's definitely contact, and I think if you use those four penalty instants that I've mentioned, like two have been given and two haven't been given. The most blatant one out of the four of them, I would say, is the Rangers one, and that was given. Shock it was given with the Rangers, and the fourth official at the Rangers game was a bit suspicious as well. But however, he was maybe to- he was maybe and, total happen. And the one that was some of the songs should maybe get him on the pod. Um, <laughs> And the one that was least a penalty would be Dukes, because that's the clearest dive you're ever going to see. So out of the four, how can the most obvious one get given and the least obvious one get given? And then, like I said, Toby Civics yeah, yeah. isn't a penalty. And then ours is like maybe that go between between the two where it's got similarities, but maybe it just doesn't tick all the boxes. And yeah. maybe that's why it wasn't it wasn't given. But like you said, think... the more you look at it, the more it, it looks like one. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I, I was like Stonewaller. Stonewaller, he's got to give it. I was shocked when they didn't even look at it on VAR. Um, then when I saw it back after the game, when I was walking back to the car with my dad, I, I looked at it back and the more I looked at it, I'm the opposite to you, the more I looked at it, the more I was like, I think he's made the right call. I don't think that is a penalty because, like you said, the, the goalie spills it and then kind of turns round, turns his body around to scoop it. And Venti just gets his toe there first. And for if if I was the ref, I don't think I would have given that a penalty. Um, so I, I I maintained that throughout throughout the the whole car journey home and then the whole day uh, on Sunday until the Rangers one was given. And it was a, like a split second decision. Didn't even have to go to yeah. bar. Um, then I'm I'm sitting there and I'm thinking why on earth wasn't ours even looked at if he's given that one right away ours is and you know it's just, it's the same kettle of fish why isn't ours even looked at and the more that I look at the rangers one and compare it with our one i'm thinking yes there's a difference danilo was in a lot more control of the ball but if Kelrus wasn't there the but if Kelrus wasn't there Dylan Venti would have been in control of the ball and he did get there first, so and there was contact, so why wasn't it given? And, I mean, if that hadn't happened on Sunday with Rangers and Hearts, I still, I, I probably still would have thought, mm, maybe not a penalty. But I think if, they, because, if that incident happens five or ten yards further back for the byline, I think it's given. 100% I think it's given. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of these ones, eh? I mean, you've seen them given, you've seen them no given. Like we've said, um, you know, pulled out a a barrage of examples um, that have been given and haven't been given, and I just think, like you say, it's the frustration with the inconsistencies. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if the rest of the decisions that were made about situations like that were the same. They weren't given as penalties, or they were all given as penalties. It's the it's the level of of consistency, and it all then stems back to the fact that the referees in this country are part time. They aren't given, you know, the adequate training as you know refs down in England or refs in the Serie A or or La Liga or wherever. 
So, I mean, why shell out all this money for VAR? And again, I'm going on a tangent here, but why shell out all this money for VAR when you can't even make the fucking referees full time? It doesn't make any sense because you get the same idiots making the decisions on the park and the same idiots making the decisions in the fucking VAR room. So I just, I don't, I don't get it. I really don't get it. And it's, it's pissing me off, Sean, and I'm going to move on now. So, um... So you're going to move on to something that probably boiled your blood even more. No, I'm I'm going to move on to what the Ramblers thought. So, um, you put out a a tweet, sorry, an X, uh, on Saturday night, just saying, where do you sit on the defeat? It wasn't Saturday night, was it? Sunday afternoon. Where uh, where do you sit on the debate? Um, And you had four options, goal on side and no penalty, which 20% of people voted for. Um, goal offside and pen given, which 24% of people voted for. Uh, goal offside and no penalty, which 9% of people voted for, which I would imagine would be all Aberdeen fans and Hearts fans and all the rest of it. And then the the most the most common answer was goal onside and penalty given. And I think on another day, both decisions would have yeah. been given. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, I mean, it's it all just comes back to the, the level of consistency really and I think as Hibs fans we're going to say it's onside and it should be a penalty but the fact that other people that support other clubs are saying it looks onside and it should have been a penalty to me speaks volumes um, and, and just going back to the goal for a quick second is that none of the Aberdeen players like they, they didn't protest the offside none of them were were standing with their hands up or anything like that. There was no protest at all. They were, up until John Beaton disallows the goal, they were ready to kick off. Yeah. So what does that tell you? I mean, if you're if you're a nobody in the VAR room who's never played the game, or if you're a professional footballer who's down on pitch level, who's, who's seen everything that's going on, I'm on a tangent. I'm going to pull myself back in and talk about Bojan Majovski's goal, which is going to fucking irritate me as well but is there, um, no, is there nothing else before the goal that you want to talk about no? oh aye the red card yeah. the red card yeah Um. I think at the time well I thought at the time I said to my dad at the time this is only going to benefit Aberdeen mentally like it's it's mental the fact that they got a, a player sent off but they were the only team that was going to benefit they were going to sit and draw us in and hit us on the counter, and that's not that's that's not one of our strengths as defending counter attacks, and it shows, Sean, um, with their goal. But did you did you think similar when uh, when Mackenzie saw red? Um, I thought it was funny because there was like it felt like he was chasing Lewis Miller forever, like it felt, it felt like that went on for ages before he actually shoved him. Listen, it was very, very clever from Lewis Miller and in most situations and most teams across the world, going down to 10 men should give the team that have the 11 men the advantage and most sides in the world would go on to capitalise. But Hibs being the club that we are, it's like, I said it when when the offside goal happened, but bloody hell, when we went down, when they went down to 10 men, I pretty much just sat in my seat and I went, right, well, this is 100% ending 1-0 Aberdeen. And it, listen, if I could have got a signal at 
uh, Hamden, I would have put a bet on one in Aberdeen and I said and gambled responsibly and all that nonsense. But <laughs> like I one hundred percent would have loaded my phone up, Henner on Aberdeen one nil, Mioski one uh, to be the only goal scorer because it was it was an absolute nap that that was going to happen. Um, as I know we're going to talk about the goal in a second, but up until that point, Lewis Miller had been trying to buy fibbles all game. He does it every game, right? Some of them are game smart, some of them are not. Some of them are fibbles and some of them he, he tries a little bit too hard to buy a fibble. And I think that comes in with his maybe inexperience with his age and with the league and with the referees in Scotland. It's not necessarily a slight on him um, as a person because he's a great lad. But there's just and certain a, a true times... as well. Yeah. There's certain and if you haven't listened already, you, listen back to episode 60. Where you need to pick <laughs> and choose where you're, where you're falling to the ground. Like, he bought us a lot of good fouls, but I mentioned in the first half, he cost us an Aberdeen break, which could have led to a goal. He yep. was one of the people at fault for the Aberdeen goal, which we'll touch on pretty much now. But throughout that whole game there was just maybe a little bit of, of games sharpness, which he'll learn from, which is fine because he's 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 been on an upward trajectory, especially since he was on our our podcast. So um listen, maybe that's what he needs. I know that maybe he needs to come Mon- back on. Monty's Monty said that he needs to do better and they've got that lively relationship where he'll take that on board. Um and I don't want to say it'll humble him a little bit, but like he'll it'll it'll do him the world of good. Um, I think so as well. I mean, you can't. It's it's uh, it's it's one of them, and you're like like you said, he, he was doing it all day, and he has been doing it for the majority of his career. He, he likes to buy a foul. He's like Ryan Porteous. He, he knows what it takes to to buy a foul, and he gets. I mean, he, he gets the decision nine times out of ten. This one was maybe just the wrong decision for him to do that, but you can't. Um, Pays them for trying to buy fouls and then, you know, slate them for trying to buy fouls in the middle of the park. But that's what happened. Um, I think it was a Hibs corner that that it came from or a, a Hibs attack anyway. Yeah. Um, Lewis Miller obviously goes down in the middle in the middle of the park pretty easily. Um, then Jordan Abita kind of with his head in the clouds, um, not tracking his runner. Um, doesn't cover himself in complete glory. I thought he played well on Saturday, but um, really didn't uh, didn't do himself any favours there. And Paul Vara slides the ball through to Miofsky, and it's a wonderful finish. Marshall should do better for me, but you know it's, it seemed like a, a bit of a plethora of mistakes that were leading to that goal, Sean. Yeah, I do disagree about it being a great goal though, because I feel like any level of keeper that's Worth their salt at saving any any shots would would actually stick a leg out and maybe not just fall to their knees or, you know, give away so much of the goals. You know, it's yeah, you're right. I've seen a but point listen, on Twitter and it was like David Marshall made himself as small as possible. Yeah, he did. He did. I think the fibble that Lewis Miller tries to buy is probably the softest one of the day. I don't know why a six foot two, six, six foot one, six foot two, strong. Laddie, mm-hmm. who's athletic and physically strong, is trying to hold off a five foot seven midget with a huge nose in Graham Shinney. Like, I, I don't <laughs> understand why he's trying to buy the foul there. He would have easily been able to keep him at bay 
put it all the way back to Marshall and we could have started again or, you know, played it out wide or, or whatever. There was a multitude of options that he could have chose and unfortunately chose the wrong one. You're right in what you're saying. Jordan Abita then doesn't track the runner. You could argue, argue Joe Neal maybe stops a little bit too early, albeit I don't think he would have been able to impact the attack that they made because he was a little bit further back. Um, Dylan Levitt, I know he's coming back for an injury, but for the life of me, and I don't know if this is just the fan in me speaking, I don't know why he's throwing his, not throwing his body on the line and trying to slide into that. Is he maybe thinking he's going to cut back into his right foot mm. and then take the shot? I don't know, but Obita should be doing better in regards to tracking back because he stops. Levitt should have slid. Martin Boyle tries his absolute darndest to slide in and stop it and is, is unfortunate. Miller should do better. It's an okay finish for me. We limited Aberdeen to absolutely nothing for the 90-plus minutes, and it's unfortunate yeah. that the one clear break that they get, Marshall decides to, to cut all up into a little ball and hand <laughs> it to, to Mirovsky because he does go down on his knees. He doesn't dive either side. He doesn't really stick an arm out. Most defend, uh, most goalkeepers would stick a leg out as they're going down. So like one knee is on the floor and the other one is stretched yeah. out. But he doesn't do that, and I think... I'd go as far as to say maybe nine of the 12 goalkeepers in the SPFL Premiership would have saved that. And I don't think I'm being harsh. Um, which is, yeah, for, for me, obviously, Miller shouldn't have tried to buy the foul there, but I think it's easily savable. And I don't think that's being harsh on Marshall because he does absolutely jack shit to try and attempt to save it. I'll tell you what, close out from Corrigan. He is not holding back today, folks. He is absolutely not holding back. No, we were at absolute sixes and sevens for that. And it was it was disappointing because I felt on the whole on Saturday, we defended pretty well. And we defended well as a unit. And it just <clears throat> it just didn't happen. It just didn't happen for that for that break. And that's all that's all that you need. You know, the famous saying it only takes a second to score a goal. I mean, it's taken a few individual mistakes for them to get the chance to score a goal, but you know, we, we really should be doing better in a National Cup semi-final at Hamden. And I saw we, an Aberdeen fan say that Mioski done well to run the length of the pitch for the halfway line. So I don't <laughs> know how he can run the length of the pitch from the halfway line when he's at the halfway line. But uh, oh, they're, they're, no, uh, they're no known for their, for their IQ, their intelligence. I mean, just look at who they choose to... Um, I'm going to stop myself there before <laughs> before we get cancelled again. But um, <clears throat> after the goal, Sean, the reaction from us was poor. Um, yeah, the Monty tries to change card, it. The reaction for the red card was poor. The whole, mm, the whole no, thing. I, from, I mean, like, especially the goal, because then we knew we needed to to get back in. I mean, red card happens at, what, 75? They scored at 78, so, I mean... At 75, you've got 15 minutes to play plus injury time. So you're thinking maybe you can, if you can take it to extra time, if you don't score, then chances are you will probably, um, you'll probably Just a bit of calmness, it. mate. That's all we needed. Just a wee bit of calmness. Trust what we were doing. We were getting chances. We were getting barrel-loaded chances in the second half before they got the man sent off. Down to 10 men. They were always going to obviously shut up shop and play us out, force us out wide and force crosses into the box because... We've got like Jair in there who doesn't have height, Boyle in there who doesn't have height. Do you know what I mean? And they weren't really going to threat us that much other than on the break. So as long as we were able to be organised and stop the counter-attack, whether it was through Miller yeah. or Obita, 
then we would have been fine. But like you said, sixes and sevens, and then when they did score, the game plan just seemed to go to pot as well. And yeah, you could I see think- like players like Levitt were trying to continue to do the same thing, which I think would have paid off eventually. But then he we takes didn't have off. we didn't have another half an hour. We had twelve minutes. I know, but I still and, think, I mean plus the seven minutes added yeah, time. But I mean, I still think it, that would have paid off more. Like our nor our not necessarily our normal game plan, a more direct game plan without necessarily just shelling it long. Like if we had maybe just went to three at the back, and maybe put Rocky up top, or even Hanlon up top, or even Fish, and just left Miller or Beta in a centre half there, or even like whoever was the fitter out the two wing backs. You keep them, them that one there, so hypothetically, right, because Miller went off, let's say Obita, right, although Obita was slow stop for their goal. You've got Miller, uh, sorry, Obita, Fish and Levitt in front of them. So you've got like a little triangle there to try and stop any counter-attacks for them to go 2-0 up. You then take Miller off or put Miller further up the park and then put a centre-half up. And then you allow Levitt at the edge of the centre circle to dictate where the ball goes. And then you've got Joe Newell at the edge of the box filling up any of the long balls that then get shelled back out yeah. because all Aberdeen were doing was sitting on the edge of the box and, and then if you've then got players out wide like Ellie Yuan or if we had Lewis Miller or Martin Boyle out there and we had Dodge and Venti up top then I feel like we would have as well as a centre half we would have mm. had three aerial threats three aerial threats ah, exactly that, that we would have, instead of just going long for the sake of going long which and, and that comes back to my point like I, I, I'm baffled by the Venti sub Absolutely, yeah, I don't care I mean, if he's out in his arse. Like, stick him on the last man, put him in the box for a centre half, and then allow Miller and uh, sorry, and then allow Levitt to dictate the play for the centre circle, and then Newell to be at the edge of the box. I mean, what's he got to play another twelve minutes plus injury time? I mean, I know that that's pushing twenty minutes, but come on. I mean, Monty's been ridiculed again for his um, substitution choices. I don't know what. People are expecting them to do. I mean, put players on that aren't on the bench. I mean, that's he's only got the players on the bench that he's got on the bench. But I agree with you. I think that the Venti sub was baffling. Aye, if he's out in his arse, fair enough. But, I mean, if he, if he's on the park for, for an extra 20 minutes, there's a, a chance that we're going to score because the boy's a fox in the box. He's lethal. Um yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I feel sorry for Whitaker and Landers that, that had to come on and, and try and make things ha- happen when, like you said, the game plan went out the window. Yeah. Um, it's no, slight, it's no yeah. slight on them, mate. It's the bench that, that we have. It's the situation we are with our squad. Our squad needs to have more quality within de- the depth. The players we now need to bring in are starters rather than bench fillers and then you want the current starters to be those bench fillers but yeah I, I just didn't agree with with the venti sub when you're needing a goal 12 minutes you don't take your number nine off that's you that's, don't take uh, your number nine off you don't take your person that's most clinical in the box um and i feel like you could have given the fact have, that we had to take boil off yes you know, exactly in, in the that. same breath we had to take boil off and you take venti off as well jay uh, was already off wasn't he um, yes. At that point, so that's your. Um, I mean, that's that's your. your I mean, I, I, I don't know if people would call Jair a main threat, but he's, you know, three of the four main threats probably who who are going to score your goal. Um, you know, Elliot and being the exception, who was still on on the pitch, but 
take a name all off to me is, is baffling. And and what my dad said at the time, he he went, I, I don't understand why he's taking Venti off. And like you, he didn't understand why we weren't just going gung ho, proper going for it. Because he said, what's the difference between us losing two 0 and losing one 0 Like we're going to beat the cup. There, there's no point in playing for like fucking gold difference. Like we're why don't we just throw everything at it? And I felt like we maybe did from from ninety to ninety seven, but it's just not enough, really, is it? And then you can't put Dylan Venti back on the park. Or you can't put Jair back on the park. It's yeah. I mean, he, he is getting slated for his substitution choices. I think we can maybe cut him a little bit of slack when it comes to he didn't really have the personnel on the bench that was going to be able to change it, change the game. You know, but then just don't take like off your number nine in your main striking threat. This is it. I mean? But I mean, so you'd ideally it's... like to have Alfie on the bench to come on and and have a little bit of game intelligence and, and game management, like we, we said, we, we completely lacked. But, you know, I mean, we've got to let bygones be bygones, really. I mean, there's nothing more that we can say. I feel like every single Hibs fan is equally as frustrated with the same things um, at the moment. It's... It's the mistakes, it's the it's the VAR, it's the refereeing and it's the subs. And that's just something that Monty's going to have to learn from. But what I've got down here is, after the game, Sean, there was a lot of Monty out shouts that I've seen online. And for me, that's absolutely ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous and completely unnecessary. And I get the emotions there. We've just been beaten at Hamden in, in a League Cup semi-final. And... To be honest, if we'd have went through, I would have backed us to win the whole thing. Um, so I, I can understand the frustration, but when is he going to realise that he needs a plan B? Um, yeah, I'm glad you didn't ask me what I thought of the money out shirts because no, <laughs> if anyone's, if anyone's listened to any of the last seven or eight I, episodes, I, I, want to, I want to get back out for my dinner. I don't want. I'll be, we'll be here until fucking breakfast time if we ask you that. Um. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. If I'm honest, I think with the current set of squad that he has, it's, he is very limited in regards to other alternatives. Um, I mentioned last week regarding it's not necessarily the shape; it's more about the personnel and the individual roles within the shape, out in and out of possession, and how that transition looks. I know people don't like like all these different phases and stuff like that I play and these different setups that you have in play, but that's just the way that football has evolved now. And I think if we're able to strengthen our squad throughout the whole squad without our, throughout our starting eleven, I think we'll it won't necessarily chance. be a case of plan B and plan C. It'll be a case of just different variations of the same plan yeah. throughout a match depending on the situation whether it's nil nil against the top six team or a top two top three side or it's we're a one nil down against the bottom six side like if we can improve the personnel into the shape and the formation that Monty is trying to implement which by the way a lot of people might not be able to see it at the time or might still not be able to see it there was a hell of a lot of positives to take in regards to our level of performance and how we went about Saturday we grew into the match as well and I know we'll, we'll come on to that because there are questions about it but I think the overriding frustration is the fact that we haven't progressed in we the dominated so much of the match and didn't come out on top and I get that yeah but the thing is Sean that's, that's improve, just been a, it's a staple of Hibs sides for years and years and years 
from when I've been watching Hibs and it's it's just been it's like you can change the manager, you can change the players, you can change the owner, uh, you can change the stands at the stadium, but you you can't change the mentality, and it seems to be that that's the problem. Um, you know, certainly at the moment, but I I do agree with you. I think that there is positives to take from Saturday without sounding like a happy clapper and being chuffed that we got beat and chuffed that we're being knocked at the cup. I'm definitely not chuffed at that, but I do think that there is signs of improvement um, in terms of us playing the way that Monet wants to play. But like you said, I, I must I must echo the fact that we need players. We need starters in this squad. We need to beef this squad out with real, real quality. Because if we don't, then we are going to be in serious trouble. Yeah, I think it also speaks volumes when you've got, I'm not going to say pundits, because some of them are clueless but the ones that the, the ex-managers and the ex-players that know what they're talking about um, or have a level of high football and IQ should we say or understand the game in a little bit more detail um, in contrast are, to us they, who know fuck they, all they are the ones that are speaking extremely highly of Monty and they're speaking extremely highly of his level of performance that he got us to on Saturday he's only been in the job two months and if those types of people are, like, whether you respect their views or not, it was really refreshing in the car on the way home to hear John Collins, Scott Brown and Neil Lennon, people that have been involved with Hibs and know the mentality that you have alluded to, mm-hmm. coming out and saying, other than obviously the result, which is the most important thing at the end of the day, what Monty has tried to do and the difference between a Lee Johnson Hibs side and a Monty Hibs side is night and day. And given time, he will continue to get a lot of things right and there's a lot of positives from that at the weekend regarding how dominant we were on and off the ball. It's just those lapses in concentration that let us down. So it was probably it was good to hear that when I, by the time I got home I don't think I uttered any more than five words in the car journey on the way home um, because I felt similar to after the Ross County League Cup final and the Falkirk playoff I was pretty much done. Um, not not with Hibs, but like I was just mentally so drained. I don't think I sat up in my seat after we went one 0 down. But it was good to hear the posit- positivity from other ex pros involved with the club who know the club, what Monty is trying to do, and they can see it. And obviously, like Scott Brown, for example, he was in Monty's presence and has been in Monty's presence quite a bit since being sacked and coming back up the road. So. I think if you don't want to listen to us, then you can listen to... I mean, loads of people want Neil Lennon to get the job and he couldn't talk highly enough of it. People wanted Scott Brown to get the job. He can't talk highly enough of it. John Collins won a silly cup, albeit he's very, very arrogant when he was at Hibs. He still knows his stuff, does the SFA licences and stuff. So, um, yeah, listen, I think that filled me with a lot more... Not necessarily a lot more confidence because I do back him, but like it, it was good to hear that at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And just a, a couple of final things um, about Saturday before we move on. Um, we would just like to, you know, pass on all of our condolences to Ian Berwick's family um, and friends after Ian sadly passed away after after the match on Saturday. Um, you know, I don't know too much about about what happened or anything, but I've I've seen a lot of a lot of nice tributes to Ian. So, um, you know. Obviously, we're we're very very sorry to hear that, and you know, no one should go to the football and not return home. You know, uh, all of us at the Ramble, you know, Mark and 
Mark and Craig included pass on uh, our deepest our deepest deepest condolences. So, um, apart from that, though, the last thing that we've got to touch on on Saturday is the pie review. Which pie is the best in the pie review? Which pie is the best in the pie review? Okay, Sean. We've got a pie review from me, we've got a pie review from Craig, we've got a pie review from Mark. We don't have one from you. And we've got one, uh, we've got some from the Ramblers as well. Um, I mean, I certainly tried. I tried my damnedest. I went twice to oh, get you a pie. Twice? I went twice. I went upon entry, and then 10 minutes before kickoff, I went again, and they had no pies. Fuck None. Sake. So, section F3 at Hamden Park, sort it out. Unacceptable because I really, really, uh, really joke. wanted a kebab pie. Well, I got a kebab pie, and I think my my pie review is the only kebab pie review of the four of us. I think so. Here we go, here we go, and strap yourself in because this is a good one. Temperature four out of five. Um, just a shade on the hot side. Um, it gets a four. For me, because although it was hot, it was fresh. It was a hot fresh. It wasn't a hot reheated and and crap. Um, so you know, it, it wasn't optimal temperature. It heated me up for sure, but um, just a just a a shade, a shade of being perfect. Uniqueness. I've given it a four, and I think maybe. I shouldn't have given it a four, but I'm going to stick with a four. I've only seen kebab pies one other time in my time of going to football, and that was at St Mirren. Um, so I'm going to give the uniqueness a four because I don't personally see many kebab pies on my travels. I know that they're a thing, and I know that they are widely available across many football grounds up and down the country. Um, but me personally, I've only seen them a, a, a one other time. So I guess a four from me. Fill in. Five out of five. This was, without doubt, the best pie that I had on Saturday. Um, it was donnery. It was saucy. It was spicy. It was everything that you want from a kebab pie, to be honest with you, Sean. It was tremendous. Um I'm so glad that I was able to get one because it's like the PS5, eh? I mean, when that first came out, it was very elusive. Not many people got one. I got one. Not many people got a kebab pie on Saturday. I got one. And it was, oh, mate, I'm not even funny. It was class. Moving on to the crust. Five out of five. Uh, it equals Tyne Castle's crust. And uh, it maybe even betters it slightly. It was crisp all the way around. Um, and it was thin enough that it, it gave yourself, it, it gave its own unique flavour, but it didn't take away from the filling. Wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And, um, you know, it offered a nice contrast of crisp, crisp and crunchy uh, crust to soft donor meat. Honestly, I can't, I can't talk highly enough for this pie. Finally, the price is a two out of five because £4.50 is for me. A little bit on the steep side, but the national stadium, and I just don't know if that is the price of a kebab pie. 
So it gets a two out of five from me, which takes it to a total of 20 out of 25. And I don't think that it will be beaten, in my opinion, this season. Yeah, Does that make you be, jealous? Yeah, yeah, I'm not too best pleased because it's made me really jealous now. So, yeah. Well, I'm sorry, Sean, but I, I've only got to sing the praises of this pie. Uh, I will really quickly rattle through Craig and Mark's pie reviews before I jump onto the Ramblers pie reviews because we've got quite a few of them this week as well. Um, so Craig got a steak pie and he said the temperature was four. A wee bit burny on the initial bite. However, great temperature as I worked my way through the pie. Uh, filling, too. Lots of steak, but very, very dry. Nowhere near enough gravy. Crust, four. Nice and soft around the edges. Crispy on top. Things you love to see. Price, one. Over £4 for a pie. Fuck off SFA and Hamden. Get yourselves to fuck. <laughs> Uniqueness, one. Just a bog standard steak pie. Final score, 12 out of 25. And for Mark, he also went for a steak pie and he said the temperature was three, bit too hot, took me a while to eat. Filling three, decent amount of steak and was fairly full. Gravy was decent. All in all, I was satisfied here. Crust four, nice crunch, no sogginess. Uniqueness one, would have given more if I'd gotten my kebab pie. And price one, overall 12 out of 25. So two very similar uh, reviews there from from Mark and Mark and Craig. I was going to say Mark and Sean there, but you didn't get a pie, Sean, did you? No, thanks for thanks for reminding me again. Hopefully, <laughs> when we when we make it back to the Scottish Cup semi final and, and final, I can get a get a pie then. Maybe, maybe, mate. Uh, and very, very quickly, moving on to the Ramblers pie reviews because this is uh, this is something that we are so passionate about. We just fucking love pies, man. Uh, John Tolmey's pie was. Temperature a four, crust was a three, filling was a two, uniqueness was a one, uh, but price was a five because he didn't pay for it. So that gives John a final score of four, seven, nine, ten, fifteen out of twenty-five, which is. I'm assuming it must have been a steak. I I would have I would have imagined so as well. Jack Gillis has a very strong opinion on his pie here. Temperature was a five. Um, you don't get many of those nowadays. I tell you that for for a five or Jack. Uh, Cross was a three. He's put bang average, nothing to write home about. That's some incredible analysis. That's some uh, that's some mark level analysis here. Um, fill in three. Thought the kebab fill in was tidy, but I've had better. Maybe where where has he had better so we can go <laughs> and have some? I think I'm going to need to. I think we're going to need to get a location. Uh, uniqueness two. So many other grounds have kebab pies. It really isn't an exciting new thing anymore. I mean, I agree, but I've only seen it one other time in the flesh. So that's why I gave it a four. And the cost was three paying hand in prices. So that gives Jack a final score of five, eight, 11, 13, 15 out of 25. Um, Sean Pride says, never had the kebab pie because shock horror. They never had any left. Worst stadium in the world. Sooner it gets knocked down, the better. <laughs> I, I think I've maybe just tweeted that, that off someone. I think I've just tweeted that off someone else's account. If I'm honest, that's your that's Sean Corrigan's burner account. Um, Daniel Baxter says the temperature was a four, crust was a three, film was a four, uniqueness was a three, and price was a one. Uh, it made everything ten times better because he got the last one. So maybe he got the last one in was it F three you were sitting in, Sean? Three. Anyone in F three's 
for someone to pay for. Well, that gives uh, Daniel a final score of 4, 7, 11, 14, 15. 15 out of uh, 25 has been a very common score for the Ramblers this evening. Um, Nick Heller says, 3 for temperature, not quite hot enough. 3 for crust. A curate's egg of a crust, good in parts. I think that's meant to be a really funny joke, but <laughs> I just don't get it. Um, two for filling, okay, but slightly unusual texture. Four for uniqueness, see filling, not exactly a compliment. <laughs> Three for price, seem to be in the usual range. So I would imagine that Nick has probably had the kebab pie if uh, it's been an unusual texture. It is a bit of an unusual texture, to be fair, different from a steak pie and stuff. So that gives Nick a final score of three, six, eight, twelve. Oh my god, fifteen again. Should have seen then, a twenty-five out of twenty-five as well. Yeah, well, that, that's the last one. I'm saving it for last, Sean, just to make you even more jealous. Sorry. Uh, Harvey Scott says all zero when I went at half time. They had no hot food left. Fucking piss take. Yep, agreed. And I went I went twice before the match. <laughs> That's a joke to be fair. That really is a joke. And um, Resurrection says that the kebab pie was simply unbelievable. 25 out of 25. And that is what we love to see on the Rambo. We just love to see good pies getting praised for being good pies. And that will wrap us up for this week's Pie Play Cup update. Which pie is the best in the pie review? Which pie is the best in the pie review? Okay, Sean, we will quickly move on to listener questions. We've got quite a few of these, but I'm very conscious of time. Now it's time to answer the hip ramble listener questions. So first of all, we will go as always to John McIntosh and he asks what is for dinner? I had a bacon and aubergine rigatoni. Oh, right, well, nice. I'm actually going to be having a quite a similar dinner to you. Um, we're also having rigatoni uh, with bacon and a spicy chilli tomato sauce. So looking forward to that. I think Megan is making it as we speak. So pretty chuffed with that. And on the back of that, someone has actually asked, um, sorry, Cami Fife has asked, what did you have for breakfast? I had my my usual big breakfast. Um, we asked that a couple of weeks ago, didn't I? I think I think uh, it was like was... four four bits of toast, four bits of bacon, two eggs, hundred grams of chicken, all together in two sandwiches. That's fucking madness, mate. It's unbelievable. I had a Baines it's roll. Unbelievable. I had a Baines bacon roll. By the time I got to Baines, they never had any black pudding left. Black pudding's usually my go-to Baines roll. Black pudding and brown sauce, but they never had any black pudding. They only had bacon, so it was bacon and brown sauce roll for me this morning um, with. A lovely coffee as well. Um, next up, we've got Keith Robertson, and he asks, "Are there positives to take from Saturday? For example, more of the young lads getting game time, Jair getting another start, 
Um, and our unbeaten record versus Rangers at Hamden since 79 is continuing. <laughs> a great point. Yeah, no, I do think I do think there is positives to take, like I mentioned earlier on. So I know it's, listen, for me, there was absolutely no positives, especially for that drive home and things like that. But, you know, upon reflection, when you actually deep it a little bit, take the emotion out of what had actually happened and how we weren't able to capitalise on what was a fantastic chance to win a trophy, never mind just get to a final. Because um, mm-hmm. by the time a month down the line, yes, Philippe Clement would have had more time with his Rangers side, but we would have had more time with Monty as well, and anything could have happened. But yeah, all, all in all, there, there's plenty of positives to take. Um, it's, we just need to capitalise on, on what those positives are and, and build on them even further. Yeah, now the dust has settled, I suppose that we're able to look back on it and with a more rational mind than, than than we had on Saturday evening and think, yeah, maybe there are positives to take from that. So, yeah, I think it just it maybe just takes a you need to have a step yeah. back and. Can I mean, Jordan said it in his post match interview as well. Do you know what I mean? Like he understands the frustration of the support. No one wants to hear about the process and trust in the process and what we're trying to do long term as a club and Monty's vision. Once you get to Hamden, it's all about winning and, and nothing else really matters. But do you know what I mean? Like the, the players will understand the, the bigger picture and, and listen, hopefully we actually get to Hamden again and make a successful trip. Absolutely. <laughs> no, we've not had very many of them recently, have we? Um, Billy asks, calls for Monty's head already. Realistically, how long should a manager get? Depends on whether they're the right manager or not. Yeah, I think it, it goes on a manager-by-manager manager basis, but calling for a manager out after nine games, ten games, is, is ludicrous for me, like, a, like I alluded to earlier. Um, Ali is up next, and he's asking, is it time for Monte to rethink his 4-4-2 formation to get the best out of the players that we have available at the moment? So until we've got the capabilities to add to the squad, do you think it's maybe, maybe Monte's got to... I think it's a valid question, but if Monty comes in eight weeks ago, right, or whether he'd done it eight weeks ago or whether he does it now and he bins his 4-4-2 and he bins his philosophy and he goes, right, okay, this is what I have to work with. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to play 3-5-2 or I'm going to play 4-3-3 and this is how I'm going to play and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. What if that doesn't work and then he's sacked by the summer? Or what if he then brings in his players in January or the summer and then everything that the players have done since he came in the door until now is pointless because he's yeah. then completely, ch- he's like, right, okay, cool, lad, thanks for doing all of this. Forget everything I've said to you for the last three months. There's a load of nonsense. This is what we're going to do. So I think mm-hmm. implementing his style of play and the way that he wants to play and his different philosophies and phases he play, if he can implement all of that and get them singing on that hymn sheet, all he then needs to do is bring in the right players for the right positions that he knows can do the role that he wants to do. So then you're not then having to re-coach 25 bodies. You're only then coaching three, four or five. This is it, mate. This is it. Um, next up is, I'm not too sure if you've noticed this, Sean, in the last few games, um, but DJW has asked, I have a question regarding Rocky. And see, when I've seen the, the first part of that question, I was thinking, oh, for fuck's sake, someone's going to be having a go at Rocky and we're going to need to talk about it on the pod but he says why is he wearing a different shade of all green socks and not the normal kit version it's been annoying me for a couple of games now 
and I hadn't I hadn't noticed this at all. So I'd asked I'd asked to send a picture, and uh, and he sent through a picture, and he does have different socks on. It he looks like they're just he, he all actually green. doesn't have different socks on. I know it look I know it looks like it. I, I Is he just folding it, it down? He, he fold, aye, so so see the stripes that we've got on our white socks. They only go up to like just below the knee, right? And Martin, if you use Martin Boyle, for example, he stretches his socks all the way up. Yeah. So Rocky's either cut his socks to make them shorter or he's folded them over. And the bit that he's kept is the top of the sock, which is all green. And then he's folded it over the bit that is still remaining there. So whether they're inside out or folded on top of each other, they're, they're still the same sock. He's just yeah, either cut them in the half. Same shade of green. Um, and then he's folded folded them over. I don't know about the shade. I I, I don't know if it, it's a different shade, but <clears throat> the pictures that I've seen and what I've noticed that when Rocky's been playing, <clears throat> it's been the same sock and it's been the same shade. It's just folded down. It's very similar it's to like style. Harry McCurdy as well. Do you know what I mean? And how he wears his socks. He does the same or like Jason Cummins. It's just more noticeable because the stripes mm. are not there. I mean, he has said... Um... It's been a darker green the last few games. Don't know why. It's just annoying me. I mean, that would annoy me as well. So that is going to be something that I'm definitely looking out for. In what, the next um, few weeks. what annoyed me, and I don't know if many people noticed it, and other than the fact that he annoyed people because of the way he played, Florian Camberry, his shirt that he had when he was with us in his last season, his, no, his second last season, the one that had the gradient that changed colours, mm-hmm. His marathon bet sponsor was further down than everyone else's. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you have a look at the picture of Horgan's first goal at Tiny, where he scores two goals, Camberry's in the background and his marathon bet sponsor is lower down than everyone else's. So there's why one is for that? you. I, I don't know why, but that well, similar to that, that pissed me off. Sean, can you find out and get back to us? I feel like I'll, you're the, you're the head up kind of the, person. The kit room and ask the kit man. Yes, please. Thank you very much. Um, Albert Street, I think Albert sent us in a few questions this week, but this is uh, the first one I'm seeing here uh, on Twitter, and, and he's asking, square sausage morning roll, would you have it with brown sauce or with ketchup? I'm a brown um, sauce man, me. I'm a ketchup man, but I like the chippy sauce on certain Definitely. stuff in the morning, so... Um, next up is Hans and he's asking why do certain Hibs fans still blame Lee Johnson when we lose but praise Montgomery when we win because we've lost and then we won <laughs> um, I've seen, seen that question I think it's only natural you know, regardless of how regimes are, are getting taken over to blame the previous one when it's not going well um, and it just comes back to the point that we've made about trying to implement Monty's style and with the players that he's got do you know what I mean? He can only work with what he's got at the moment. If he's yeah. able to make it work for the short term or however long it is till he gets his players in, then great. But then obviously when it doesn't go well, you can't necessarily blame Monty too much if it's the player's ability that's the problem. It's a bit different. Like he subs against Ross County. That was an issue, although there were individual errors in there and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. If there's people making individual errors or not good enough to wear the shirt or in that position for this club, then you can't necessarily blame the manager that is stuck with them at this moment in time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, next up, AKA Rab, 
asks, how, Ken, fucking how? Perhaps, perhaps, <laughs> just, perhaps, just, perhaps, just rewind the pod and listen back to uh, listen back to our analysis and you'll find out how. Um, Pisces Mike has asked, who decided to appoint beating the ref? Uh, sorry, who decided to appoint beating to ref the game given his previous final versus Celtic 2021? Um, VAR is not fit for purpose and should be scrapped for the good of the game. When will people call the SFA out for what they are? Strathclyde Football Association. I think there's a lot of frustrations in there and I think they're completely justified, to be honest. Um, We're not really blessed with referees in this country that don't have, you know, a a leniency one way or another um, of the Glasgow divide. So I think it's just kind of, you can only piss with the cock you've got, to be honest, when it comes to referees. But when it, like I said about VAR, I mean, the fact that we've not made our referees full-time yet, we're implementing VAR, to me, is a bit of a joke. But that's maybe pressure from you know other European countries and the way that they're doing things at the moment. But who knows? But Strathclyde Football Association, that's a topper. And I will be using that. Um, I will be using that going forward. Uh, Cami Fife has asked, were we too were we too dependent on Boyle's faith? Oh my god, I've had a fucking nightmare here. Were we too dependent on Boyle's pace in behind instead of trying to use Venti and create chances for him? Um, I don't feel like we actually, other than the goal that we got, I don't think we really utilised Boyle's pace at all. I feel and like again, we tried to use Yuan a little bit more. Yeah, than, than and I, I think that's probably why we should have tried to use. At one point in the first half, El Yuan went up top and I, I was a little bit excited with that because then Boyle was out wide, but that didn't stick for too long. Um, so, yeah, but again, I would have just rather they were both out wide and we could have utilised both their pace, but we just didn't do it. Yeah. Uh, the next question from Albert Street uh, is, should VAR be more like Rugby Union's TMO? With Roos tolling down Venti, a TMO could have mentioned to the ref and possibly discuss a penalty. Instead of beating being completely blind to anything positive going Hibs way. I mean, I don't really watch an awful lot of rugby, so I'm not too sure how that works, but I feel like there, there probably should have been a discussion somewhere. Eh? Yeah, completely agree. Um, Big Bread Bins is asking, what is John Beaton's home address? Asking for a friend. It's uh, Ibrox Stadium, Govan. <laughs> well, someone's actually put the Grand Orange Lodge in Glasgow. Not that we even know anything about that. <laughs> I don't know where that is. <laughs> um, Harvey Scott is saying, Glasgow's a shite hole, Dons are shite, Hibs are disappointing, week in, week out, not happy. Well, we'll be back though. Cheers. Yeah, we'll be back. We'll be back on Wednesday. Don't worry. With a bang. And final question from Twitter is from Albert Street again. And I don't think it is a question, more of a statement. And he says, beating is an arse of the highest order. Don't think we can Disagree complain that. about that one. Um, oh, actually, sorry, that was the second last question. I've got one from Colin McLennan. And he's asking, I'm sure you'll be debating VAR tonight, but what's better, VAR or the pre-match Masonic handshake between referee and team captain? I don't know if he's listening to the Rangers game or the Hibs game. I would neither. probably go with VAR. Neither. I'd probably go with VAR. Actually, aye, neither. Let's go neither. You asked. You answered neither the last time there was a 
a question like that and uh, I feel like that was maybe the best answer to give. Um, very, 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 very quickly touching on the Instagram questions and then we'll just really briefly touch on St Mirren. We'll just give a quick um, prediction uh, for St Mirren on Wednesday night before we wrap up because I am aware we've been on here for an hour and a half nearly. We've got a few Instagram questions as well and Charlton 75 says we really need a better midfield lack of steel, lack of creativity Newell can't do it on his own lacking defence, need a left back need centre backs, need a goalkeeper where else I'm lost now to be honest <laughs> I think maybe he's just got a little bit carried away with that comment, I think we do need strength and depth and strength and starters as well though Sean you know, completely agree, yeah uh, Nige is saying we lost that game in typical Hibs fashion um, despite looking comfortable. It's disappointing but we have to be realistic in terms of where we are as a club. We have some good quality but we also carry a lot of deadwood. Many positives in our play and it's clear that we have a style and more of an identity, something we never had uh, with, with Lee Johnson. January transfer window is notoriously poor confident that Monty will bring in the players during the summer to suit his style of play and I think that is a very very switched on comment from Nige um, we do need to be realistic with where we're at as a club and where Aberdeen are at as a club I don't think there's an awful lot between us so you know that game probably could have gone either way at the weekend but unfortunately it went, it went their way Get the recruitment right and I think it would be just fine yeah Big absolutely ass, but McDermott's not let us down so Next up is Stevie, and he's asking, still really struggling with how we lost that game. Whilst we didn't create a huge amount of clear-cut chances, I thought we were totally comfortable in the game with Aberdeen offering almost nothing. I think there's a, there's a bit of a theme recurring here, Sean. Um, and they score from an exceptionally weak defending from us and from a counter-attack. Boyle scores, and for everyone in the stadium, it seemed like a legitimate goal with no threat of VAR intervention, then all of a sudden it being checked and took what felt like an age to be chopped off. I've yet to see any still images showing him offside at the point of the pass being made. Until I do, I'm not convinced it's offside. Um, as for beating VAR, another horror show in my opinion. It's apparently on Venti and the lack of input from VAR there is criminal. I think it's a very, very good point and the fact that he spent, what, five or six minutes looking at the offside and didn't even spend a single second looking at the penalties. Very, very telling. Very yeah, telling. Sums up. Going into the last couple, Sean, just before we wrap up, uh, Rudy has said, things we already know are becoming clear. We do not have enough squad depth. Uh, there's no one we can bring off the bench uh, that will change the game, something that we spoke about earlier on. Instead, we bring on Campbell and two 16-year-olds but if we play like we did in that second half, particularly at the start, we'll, we'll win a lot more. Beaton's a fat orange bastard. Agree. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> Agree. And uh, Nige, finally from Twitter, Nige just sent us another, um, another question. Can I get any more hibs than that, lads? Absolutely spewing. Can't bring myself to talk about the good things we've done because in the manner of the, the way that we lost the game, raging. I think he may be saying that in before he sent his, uh, his more level-headed comment <laughs> maybe a wee bit later, but no, I think um, Nigel is the epitome of all Hibs fans on 
on Saturday. Um, okay, Sean, just before we go, we'll touch quickly on St Mirren. Um, a couple of injuries. Obviously, Alfie and Diego will probably still be out. Um, looks like Boyle maybe won't make it um, for St Mirren on Wednesday. You confident? St Mirren are flying at the moment, mate. They are confident, yeah. Um, are they Wait, did I say they are confident or they are flying? They are flying, and I'm not confident. You said they are confident. I'm, I would imagine they're confident. Oh, well, they will be confident. They absolutely will be confident. Um, yeah, Stephen Robinson's got them playing very, very well at the moment. Their their league position doesn't lie. That they, they they're justified uh, being up there. However, although I'm not confident, we do always seem to place it mirroring away midweek when we really, really need a result. Normally, it's after we sack a manager. And Eddie May or David Gray's in charge. <laughs> this time, obviously, Monty's in charge. Um, so, yeah, I think we're going to be, I don't want to say down to bare bones. Um, I think Doidge will come in. I don't know what the front will be looking like. I think Levitt will play again, although it might be a little bit too much to ask for two 90 minutes in, in three or four days. Mm-hmm. Um, the squad's going to be interesting to see, um, especially with Obita and Miller playing as, as long as they did, obviously, at, at the weekend there. So, listen, very, very, very tough test. Um, I know we'll touch on um, the weekend's game and another, hopefully, potentially another episode um, later on in the week. So don't miss that one either. But, yeah, on, on Wednesday night, it's going to be a tough, tough ask. If you offered me a point now, I would take a point. But listen, we really, really need to start picking up three points. It's uh, becoming a bit of a joke. <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, I hope um, that we don't chuck a two-goal lead again. <laughs> um, because that is also becoming a, a bit of a, a hib special at the moment. But uh, I'm looking forward to the game. Uh, I'm not going, though. Um, you know, being a, a father of two. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that before. I'm a father of two. It's a, a wee bit more difficult to get to these games that I'm away midweek so I'm, an, I'm I'm quite annoyed I'm not able to make it I love St Mirren away absolutely love it um, but just I've, I'm working in the office on, on Wednesday so then being able to finish there in time to then get out of the centre of the town and then through it's just one of those things but um, I might be able to make it abroad to be able to watch it legally um, on some device somewhere I don't know if I'll have time to do that um, I'll join you me, me and you can meet up in Gibraltar and uh, and we'll we'll have a we'll, we'll have a yeah. watch of it. Can't make it to Paisley, <laughs> but we'll make it to Prague or something instead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, just before we wrap up, do you have a prediction for me for Wednesday? Um, yeah, I'll go. I'll, I'll go. I'll go two one hibs. Although that completely contradicts everything that I've just said. But if I actually gave you my true prediction, I probably wouldn't be too best pleased with myself. So. Yeah, <laughs> two one hibs. Well, I'm going to go three two hibs. We'll go two nil up. We'll chuck the lead, and then we will get a uh, a penalty um, decided by VAR late on, and we'll score it. And it'll be the redemption arc for VAR. I'll go an Eliuan winner after um, Rory Whitaker equalises. So we're one nil down at half time. Rory Whitaker one all. Ellie Yuan, 12 minutes to go, 2-1 Hibs. Perfect. Perfect, first. perfect, perfect. Right, okay, thank you so much if you've got this far. Um, we have been on a little bit of a rant this evening, but, you know, you probably can't blame us. You probably can't blame us, given uh, 
given Saturday. But um, if you've got this far, thank you so much, everyone who's submitted a question or a pie review. Um, again, thanks so much. It, it really does mean an awful lot to us. Um, we hope you enjoy St Mirren away on Wednesday if you're going or if you're watching it at home or, or whatever you're doing. But Sean, thanks very much for giving up uh, an hour and a half of your time. I've really appreciated, uh, really appreciated having a wee chat with you this evening, mate. Thanks very much, mate. Feel a bit better after after that defeat now. So feel getting a bit better getting, getting, getting that off my chest, I. Perfect. Right. Well, thanks again for listening, and we will speak to you probably before the weekend. See you later. Bye. Bye. Let's get ready to rumble.